Welcome to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and am a fanatic for uh, foam, foam rubber, little wires, and uh, ping, pong ball, ping pong balls with uh, half of them cut off and little dots on them. Um, <laughs> and this week, I am joined uh, by my co-host uh, and friend and the man who is going to be get the quote-unquote girlfriend experience of when not a fun way i think of what we're about to talk jesse how you doing jesse i mean i was doing pretty good but after this description i dude i i don't know feeling kind of nervous now a little, a little worried don't worry it's fine it's not as painful as Lindsay makes it out to be right. like what also, I mean that, but also at the beginning, like, what kind of parties are you throwing, man? <laughs> the fun kind. For someone, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, I will suck it up, man. I'm I'm here, so. Good, wonderful, perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this uh, this episode uh, being our Christmas episode um i wanted to um share kind of uh it's not just an entertainment i consume i feel like a lot of people have consumed this type of entertainment and it's more of the massive amount of knowledge i have about this topic um and it is being christmas this is a family tradition of mine in fact we're talking about going to the um colorado symphony um here next week that um puts on uh, essentially, they play the music of this movie while the movie is playing. Um, the only reason my family suggested it that we go see it this year like that is so I won't talk during the symphony of um, just because I just can't contain myself. I just love ha talking about this movie so much. Um, and that movie uh, is uh, The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> just can't um, help it, huh? No, I, it, there's just so like This is uh, among the amazingness of all of the Muppets movies, not just for um, what they bring and the technical aspects of it, like the heartwarmingness of a lot of the stories, the um, kind of the whole process of it. Uh, you, like I've said many times, I'm a sucker for animation. I'm a sucker for uh, movie technology. I'm a sucker for anything that just is like these types of elements, these, uh puppeteering and things along those lines so if it's something like that i'm already sold on it so this is just one of my favorite movies for the holidays and also just one of my favorite muppet movies and it might be probably because i'm uh, a little nostalgic for it and then learning about it has just made me more infatuated over time perfect that's, yeah that's all you can hope for for a muppet <laughs> movie i think very true yes <laughs> But it's cool. I I always appreciate that's deep down in your your dark soul, Michael. You always have these uh, familial ties to uh, a lot of these things that we talk about. So you big old softy, you. <laughs> yeah, really gruff and ex uh, really gruff, hard exterior on the outside, soft, gooey center for these types of things. <laughs> Oof, we're gonna have, we have to be careful. The windows are gonna pile up on this episode. <laughs> yeah, they meant, yeah. Um, but before we started, uh, we actually talked a little bit before this. Just you want to talk about a few other um, adaptations of the 
famous uh, Charles Dickens story. Yes. You wanted to bring up a few other of the adaptations of the um, story, A Christmas Carol, which is actually the real title of the book is not just The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's actually A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmases. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that That is true. Um, I've always really admired this story and it's kind of weird for me to say that because I don't think I actually ever read the book, but I can't fully remember whether or not <laughs> I read the book because of, you know, it's just, it's, we're in our thirties now. So those things, you know, are, aren't as easy to recall, but uh, I grew up you know, with this story and I think this is another one kind of piggybacking off of, you know, some of the stuff we talked about on the last episode is that this is a one, this is a movie that's, or in a story that I think you can grow and change for you as, you know, you advance in your life and get older and become an adult and, you know, things like that. So I think some of these things resonate with people uh, just more and more in that sense. Um, so this, I just have really always admired the story, and I think it's kind of everything that's good. Like, if I think about a good, like, Christmas story, like, I think this is one of the prime examples of that, for sure. But, Michael, there have been so many goddamn adaptations of this that it, it really just kind of hurts my brain, too. <laughs> uh, just looking at this list that I've pulled up, uh, it's... I was trying to find one and I couldn't find it. And I realized it was because I was looking in live action films and there was a whole separate section for television adaptations of this. Jeez. Oh, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I just had no idea, but uh, we'll dive into just some of the ones I'm familiar with here, dude. And if you have seen them or, you know, if you want to chime in, feel free. We won't, we won't be too long here, but uh <laughs> Um, one of them, and probably the one that I saw the most growing up, was definitely Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which, of course, for people who aren't familiar, uh, Mr. Magoo was uh, a cartoon character that, you know, had a lot of, I think, different stories that they did with him um, back in the day. And he's like this, this kind of like this real old dude. He, he can't see that well. He's always getting into shenanigans, but I don't know. He, he seems to have a good attitude about things. <laughs> um, and so it's him playing Mr. Magoo, but starring in a show where he's playing uh ebenezer scrooge and he's the lead in this show so you get mr magoo and you get mr magoo as ebenezer scrooge and it's 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 pretty trippy dude like this this old time animation and like some of the things that they do and just like i don't know it kind of it kind of freaks me out a little bit in hindsight but my family loved this movie growing up, <laughs> so we just we watched it almost every year 
And I think it was only when I watched it with my wife for the first time and kind of just saw how off put she was by certain things. They're like, oh, yeah, I guess this is kind of weird. <laughs> so, Jen, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't know that this was an adaptation um, until doing more research for The Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's funny that you say, like, I've never I've never seen it before. Um, which is kind of interesting is that now I've heard about it a lot more um, as like an adaptation people fondly remember, or at least reference. Um, so I guess now I'm going to have to go check it out. Yeah, I would say it's one of those that you can probably just throw on in the background like you like to do and just mm -hmm. uh, pique your curiosity. Um, but uh, I, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's just, I think... I have more nostalgia for this uh, just growing up than I do like actual like continued appreciation for it as an adaptation. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people still like it. So what, what do we know? But um, that's, that was 1962. Probably the other oldest one I've seen was the 1984 version with George C. Scott is Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, I can't remember like which channel it aired on or anything like that, but um, it might have been it might have been in Britain. I, I honestly I don't know for sure, but uh, I I think this one's still pretty solid. Uh, they used a lot of practical effects for this as they did for a lot of these because you know these usually did not have the budget for anything more than that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think he, he strikes me as just like the most shrewd, uh, like shrewd Ebenezer Scrooge, like always kind of knows what's going on. And like still, you know, has all the, you know, the, the classic lines, you know, mm -hmm. fulfill his uh, villainous character. But uh he, uh, I don't know, his performance was, I think, just pretty curious to me because I usually don't view Scrooge as kind of being in the know all the time or like fully self-aware about things. But uh, yeah, he was. It was, was kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that, one's, that one's pretty good. I, I would recommend that one. Um, then we have uh, Scrooge with Bill Murray. <laughs> it's 1988 i believe um and with this story dude i think it really does just depend on what your parents like in a lot of ways is winds up being the version that you grow up with because there's just so many but i say that because scrooge is my wife's like favorite version of a christmas carol and like the one that she's most fond of and of course, it's Bill Murray <laughs> playing like it's like a, <laughs> like a modern adaptation, like he's a TV executive um, and they follow the same story beats. But they think it's one of those that probably takes the most liberties with the source material mm -hmm. and is more trying to just adapt the spirit of the original novel uh, while kind of also telling a new story. So. And it's, of course, directed by the late Richard Donner, who had a lot of classics to his name. So that one, 
I don't know how I missed it for so long. I, I really just think my parents weren't big Bill Murray fans, <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> but uh, no, I that one I I really enjoy. I think that's that's always a, a fun one to turn to if you want something a little different. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I I'm probably in the same boat. I feel like I didn't see it until I was uh, probably in my late teens. Um, mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I just wonder if my parents just didn't like it just wasn't something they like tied to Christmas, really, because it was something where um, I, I don't even like I like I remember seeing it and I remember this. I like you're saying like it's he's like an executive and stuff, but I don't remember anything really past that. <laughs> um, yeah. Like for who he is as a character, or who he is as a human being or anything else like that. It's just. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's like the boss of the station i think essentially, mm -hmm. and they're they're directing they're doing a scrooge musical so the, yeah they still have the classic bits of the story while he's simultaneously going through the same thing in his own life right so it's it's a little out of the box but you know i i wish we saw more of that with this um maybe someday yeah but, uh uh, I mean, just throwing it out there real quick. Also, have seen Mickey's Christmas Carol in '83 with Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer, <laughs> and Mickey is Cratchit and Goofy is Jacob Marley. It's yeah, it's it's Disney. Uh, yeah, and then I think we skip all the way, dudes, probably to '99. Um, that was Patrick Stewart in a TNT adaptation of uh, Christmas Carol, and I feel like a I watched that with my family when it came out and then I just don't remember anything about it now. And I've looked for it in the past and it's kind of been hard to find. Too. So <laughs> I, I, I remember liking it and I think he's good for that role, but I just can't remember anything about that. Interesting. I don't rem I, that doesn't, that doesn't, that does not hit any memory in my mind. I can't, yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did, but I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about it other than Patrick Stewart. So. <laughs> um, and then we can skip all the way again uh, to, uh, I think that was 2009 with the Jim Carrey animated one with Robert Zemeckis. Um, and Carrey, I think his performance is fine he throws some little carry bits in there but overall he's solid my problem with that one dude is that this was during the wake of when everything was coming out in 3d and so they would do certain parts of the movie just for that 3d thrill but now when you go back and watch them it's just like these really long sequences where seemingly nothing happens and you're just kind of like what what the fuck are all these long pauses of just <laughs> random animation like what, what what's happening here so yeah oh, we, we just we lose a lot i think not yeah a 3d well i think it's also it's one of those things where it's like this is in the same era like that photo realistic cgi with the smoke cap and everything else like that um that just kind of makes it look like there's that uncanny valley that's being affected Mm -hmm. um and yeah the 3d I, what we just uh, at that ugly sweater party we watched uh harold kumar's christmas story right oh yeah Same that's thing. in yeah. yeah that's in 3d but like gratuitous 3d where it's just like okay cool 
And I even think I remember watching a YouTuber talk about like how he was watching a video or he was he was reviewing a movie and he goes, uh, he's like, what the hell is happening? It's like someone was playing like uh, one of those paddle balls with a rubber ball on it. And it was like directly at the screen. He goes, when was this made? And he looks at it as a joke and it's like, oh, you know, the early 2000s. He goes, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. Exactly. Um, so I. I dude, I don't even really like going back and watching Avatar that much anymore. And mm-hmm. then because all of these fucking movies tried to emulate that 3D craze, and it was pretty cheap, so I I, I hated it. But <laughs> um, that movie's okay. I just think, yeah, it, it could have been if they redid parts of it and just you know a normal animation style. I think it would be better. But um, and then I think that's. I think that's it. That's pretty much it, dude. Um, I do know that they made, and I haven't seen this one, um, but they made the uh, TV series, I think, on FX last year where they were kind of, it was by the guy who did uh, Peaky Blinders. So they were, you know, I think taking it into a little more of a dark, maybe like horror style. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it had a pretty good cast. I just, I just, I've not gotten around to seeing that one yet, but I, I heard some okay things. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously this novel has been redone, re, you know, uh, added, adapted into so many different ways and structures. Um, so it's no surprise that like the list is just gigantic and people have Tim done their own, uh, crazy twists on it. Um, I actually just pulled up the, the one you were talking about, the, uh, Christmas Carol, um for fx mm-hmm. and i mean it looks like it's got middle of the rotten tomato score of 52 percent uh mm-hmm. i am i am uh, imdb has got a 7.2 out of 10 um google has it at an 82 percent of people liked the movie so it, it kind of sounds like it wasn't for everyone yeah it sounds like it's middle of the road another adaptation maybe it's got some interesting elements because that's i do have to say though i as much as I think that the Muppets Christmas Carol is by far the best adaptation. Yeah. Um, I do think a lot of these have their own little moments. I think all of them have like good parts of them and they do kind of have moments of shine in them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's always fun to see them and see what they did and see how it's at this point, it's just kind of more interesting to see how it's all the different adaptations and different artists taking this original work and seeing what they can slightly turn or twist or, emphasize for effect yeah man i i agree with that and uh just real quick it looks like patrick stewart was nominated uh for a screen actors guild award for the one that he did so and he was also he did a one-man stage adaptation of the story (laughs) before all that (laughs) so interesting uh, yeah professor xavier just doing work for this for this (laughs) this uh story yeah right yeah so yeah man uh i just kind of wanted to do that run through of some of the ones that i'm familiar with um there are so many again (laughs) that i just a lot of these i didn't even know existed and some i just forgot about but i think wherever you lie and you know which one uh you've spent the most time with or whatever i think hopefully you know they were successful and um 
you know, uh, faithfully adapting what I think is a pretty profound tale. But uh, Michael, you're going to you're going to tell us <laughs> why um, the Muppets one is the very best one. And we're going to get a lot of fun trivia that a lot of which I know I know nothing about. So I'm excited for this as well. But um, yeah, it's as Dickens would say, it's, you know, it's a tale of, you know, two podcasts here. So go ahead and uh, do something completely different. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, like I was saying, um, my family hates watching this movie with me. I'm going to be clear here um, so much because it's just every year. It's just the same thing. Um, it was actually in preparation for this. I was re I actually watched it three times today. Uh, once when I woke up and then I did some stuff, came back, um, started taking notes while watching through it mm -hmm. um, and then watched some other content and then came back and was actually finishing up my third watch through and taking notes on it. And Lindsay walks by at one point and goes, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm watching Muppets Christmas Carol for the podcast tonight. And she was just like, oh, do you want to come out here and watch it with me? And I was like, do, do you really want that? <laughs> and she was just like. Uh, she's like, yeah, why not? And I says like, oh, well, I found out some new facts. And I started I started talking to her about the facts. And she's like, you know what? Now I remember why I don't want to watch this with you. You can watch it by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that is quintessential you. In that <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, let's get right into it. Um, if you would like to, you know, take some notes about this or whatever, or even watch along kind of sort of, um, do feel free. I, I'm going to put, I'm going to say timestamps for one of these, uh, when these facts or these bits of information are really, um, kind of come up or interesting stuff. But I do want to like point out a few things before, uh, just kind of with the production, um, of this, this movie, a Muppets Christmas Carol was the first major motion picture that was done after uh jim henson's death and for those that don't know uh jim henson um was the man that essentially the brilliant mind that came up with the muppets um as well as several other things um from sesame street to fraggle rock uh to several other um wonderful uh things like labyrinth and uh just so many things like um his the the way his mind worked was just amazing and we'll probably do an episode on him um for his birthday maybe uh which is in may uh so just so you know his uh he had died in uh, 1990 and so this movie came out in 1992 um so it was kind of one of those things that they weren't sure about there was a lot of upheaval around the muppets of who was going to do kermit who he had voiced and who was going to do um rolf uh the piano playing dog because he had also voiced him and there was a lot of this uncertainty with what was going to be happening with the whole henson productions um this uh movie um is also dedicated uh to another um puppeteer richard hunt who worked with henson from from a very long time he was a fast friend with many of the other puppeteers that are in this movie and around the Henson productions. Um, he did some characters like Scooter, um, the PA kind of assistant guy, the guy with glasses and like the orange little hair on top um, for those that are trying to place who Scooter the puppet is. Um, and then he was also on, you know, the Muppet show and Fraggle Rock and um, did a lot of roles in that. So he had actually died um, that January of that year. So he died while they were in production for this and wasn't, it was declining health. So uh, this movie 
at um, (laughs) 0.33 seconds into the movie, they do say that this is dedicated to Jim Henson and Richard uh, Hunt. And I just wanted to let people know who those people were and why it was dedicated to them, because it is really nice that they did kind of do that. And actually, uh, Richard comes back up later, as well as Henson in the movie as we go through. Um, But yeah, yeah, so feel free to break in, Jesse, as I'm going through this, because it's because like an hour and a half of notes that I have here type stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, I knew that he had passed Jim. Uh, I knew that he had passed. I didn't know he had passed that, that long you know, before this came out. That's all. Yeah, it was. Uh, and like I said, we can probably, we'll probably do one around his birthday, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was a really big thing because it was really unsure of a lot of things of what was happening uh, with Jim Henson's uh, productions and all these stuff going on with his passing. So um, being, being the first major motion picture that came out for the Muppets after his death was kind of a, it was a really big thing. And it was very off of, it was very different than what they normally did. Um, Previous movies, obviously uh, Muppets take Manhattan, um, the, the quintessential Muppet movie, the great Muppet caper. Um, all of these were <laughs> movies that kind of put them in their own story. They were their own um, uh, characters. They were essentially in this real world. So this kind of broke away from the normal quote unquote Muppet major motion and was doing a Muppet story um, where they were playing characters in it. So that was kind of the fun part is that with this, you have to remember a lot of these, the Muppets, Kermit, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, all these Muppets are characters. And um, I remember seeing them, probably you have too, Jesse, and a lot of other people have seen them like interacting with people as if they're r- real living beings. Uh, I even think Kermit was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire once, which is a very weird thing to kind of like think about um, as like, does does is it the puppeteer that's really on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do they get like, help or support or something and how uncomfortable (laughs) that have to be for a live showing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, so that's kind of the idea behind this is that they, in the setting up for this production, uh, they were talking about what they wanted to for this movie. And it originally was supposed to be just a TV adaptation of the Christmas Carol. And it was just going to be on ABC. Um, But as conversations were going around, eventually um, Disney heard about this and was like, let's kind of push this forward a little bit more. And so they actually did kind of sweep up this uh, production of this uh, Christmas Carol and bring it and loft it to a full major motion picture, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wild, dude. Yeah. So um, that's kind of like the first 30, like the, pre-production a little bit more i'll talk about but then like the first 30 seconds that's kind of it um but the cool thing too here is that this is all like prime michael nerdum technology movie magic stuff is about a minute in as the credit the opening credits are rolling um you see a panning shot of a london city um which is done with matte paintings um and those that don't know a matte painting is just uh, a giant canvas that's painted to look like a faraway distance with perspective so you don't have to build or uh, now people just use CGI. But back in the day before that was a really big thing. That's how you would give the perspective of far away things. Um, so the uh, pans down and they actually built models like very tiny to scale models. And the big part about when you're using a model 
that's so small, the camera has to be moving so incredibly slow to give it the effect that you're actually moving as if you were, if you, the actual viewer was moving through this area and it was a real world, um, you can't move the camera too fast or it will make it look like a model because you'll be moving by too quickly. Cause obviously, you know, a camera is much larger than the model. And if the camera like moves a, like just two inches, it looks like the entire mo model moved like three feet. So you have to like move it painfully slow. And so they sweep down they kind of go over, like uh, they go over the cast and it's really funny. Cause it like starts out with like Kermit as Bob Cratchit, Miss Piggy as uh, Elizabeth Cratchit. That's her name. Uh, his wife. And it's like the great Gonzo as Charles Dickens and then Rizzo the rat as himself. <laughs> and then eventually it gets to the biggest name. I feel like in this entire production is, um, and, uh, Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> Michael Caine, who just retired Michael Caine. Yeah, exactly. One of the cool things about this is that, uh, he consistently talks about how this movie was one of his favorite movies to have ever done. He loves it. Um, he said it was one of the best experiences he ever had. Um, and just thought it was so much fun to be a part of it. So props to him on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, uh, if you know what you're doing, you can have, a, I'm sure, a really great time uh, in a Muppets movie. So yeah, exactly. Especially uh, with this story. So that was like a win-win for him. Mm -hmm. um, so as the as the movie goes on, that's at like minute, uh, the one minute mark. At the two minute and 25 second mark, the roof that is kind of right in front of the camera masks the transition uh, between the miniatures and the actual set. So that way you kind of, it doesn't give like some sort of harsh cut. It's like a nice kind of transition, which is, I love that type of stuff is seeing that when you're looking for it in movies is to see how they do those types of um, shifts or those um, changes. So you, you as an audience member, aren't aware that the scene is changing or the, that it's two different areas or something like that. Um, and then the first line you hear in the movie at two minutes and 40 seconds in is between two pigs. And it's one of the best lines in the world. Um, and it was actually, um, David, uh, Gould's, um, who does, um, the voice of Gonzo. Um, he was actually playing one of the pigs and it was an improv line. Totally. They were just like, that was the cool thing about the, the Muppet or that's the cool thing about the Muppets still there. A lot of their stuff is improv. It's a lot of them playing off of each other because a lot of these people have worked with each other for decades at this point. So they're friends. And so they play off each other and the line is like, the two pigs, one of them is like, oh, you know, that was a fabulous, uh, that was a fabulous meal. Yeah. What should we do now? And the other one's like, uh, get lunch. And he's like, yeah, let's get lunch. And they walk away. And it's like the first line you hear. And it's was totally improv. Um, <laughs> so it was like something they, they're all like wearing mics so they can kind of hear the different uh, voices that they're doing. And they decided to bump that one up so you could hear it. Uh, you keep going uh, at two minutes and 59 seconds. There's a lady in the center of the frame who just gets nailed in the head with a chicken. Um, I didn't see, I have never noticed that until this viewing, uh, today, but she just gets nailed in the back of the head with like a black chicken who probably wasn't supposed to hit her. It was supposed to just probably fly past, but probably because the take that particular take, that was like the only thing that looked bad. They just kept going with it and left it in the movie. So fun little thing for you. You can watch some lady just get hit in the head with a chicken. Um, <laughs> it's funny because uh, when I read your notes, it says, gets nailed by a chicken yeah and that could have gone a few different ways so I, with the I, muppets I, yeah 
I'm relieved to know that it's just a flying <laughs> chicken that hits her in the head. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the Muppets could be anything. Um, and then as it goes on, like three minutes in, as it kind of pans up after that lady getting hit, there's uh, like a little frog and a chicken, a, a, a Muppet chicken, not a real chicken. There, there, there are differences in this movie. Um, miss that. And, yeah, and there's like a dog in a window that like throws a snowball at the, the, the little frog. Um, actually, the same puppeteer, uh, Dave, uh, was inside of that like building's uh, facade, puppeting those two characters, the frog and the chicken. And they were running that a few times like they do because obviously the dog has to throw the snow and holds the whole thing. And at one point they broke for lunch and they left him in there <laughs> because he needed help getting out. And so he was stuck there because they had just forgotten him. And he was like pounding on it, being like, "Let me out! Help!" Jeez, oh, that's like a lot of people's nightmare, right? There. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I I saw a thing where it was him and um, uh, Brian Henson, Jim Henson's one of Jim Henson's sons, um, was talking about that, and they were doing like a watch along or something. And and uh, Brian didn't even know that happened. He was like, "Oh my god, I feel terrible!" And he was like, "Oh, it's fine. I just knocked on the coffin until someone came and got me." <laughs> But as this is going on at three minutes and 18 seconds, uh, we do see that uh, Brian's name comes up as the director. Um, he was also a producer on it. And this was his first uh, di uh, directorial debut in a movie. And he, I think, did it. It's an amazing job. So, I mean, props to him for this being his first direct uh, directing credit. Uh, a pretty solid movie to start out your career in that role on. And he had been doing... Uh, Muppets and been working with the, a lot of these people and his father um, for years. He was in Pan's, La or Pan Pan's Labyrinth. Wow, that's a very different movie. Uh, he was in Labyrinth and um, was in a few other things for like Sesame Street, not quite a bit. So he knew how this process worked. Um, so props to him for nailing this. And then as it keeps going, uh, this next one's a little bit at three minutes, 38 seconds. We're introduced to our narrator, uh, who is the great Gonzo and his sidekick Rizzo, the rat playing, like I said before himself. Um, and this right here is why I think this is the best adaptation um, out of any other ones, because here is something that a lot of them don't have. A lot of other adaptations play it as you're following the story scrooge and you're seeing it happen to him and where this differs in the movie sense is that it's it is a story we are being quote-unquote told from the narrator Riz, uh rizzo and gonzo aren't telling it to you the entire time they're not narrating everything but there are little parts here and there that gonzo narrates and he tells like he has the author omniscience to know what's going on but he doesn't tell you everything we still get to watch it happen but it's just kind of a different take on kind of how all the i feel like a lot of other adaptations do it they all do it as you're watching the story as if you're reading a book yeah um, whereas like this actually like has a narrator that inserts real text from the book yeah like uh, i just always crack up at the beginning which uh even dead dead as a doornail like <laughs> oh it's kind of spooky <laughs> right but that's like the cool thing though is the fact that 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 whole thing is like you uh have to remember the marlies are dead that is doornail like that's out that's direct text that's gonzo quoting directly from the pros themselves and that's where this 
is so cool is that it's takes so many of those lines and statements and parts of the book and gives it to Gonzo, gives it to Kermit, gives it to um, uh, Kane as those characters to say out loud. And I think that's where it differs a lot from a lot of other adaptations up to that point. Yeah. None had done that before. Well, and I feel like just the timing of Marley's death in general is something that's really inconsistent <laughs> between adaptations, too. Like, a lot of them <laughs> don't do that very well. Right. They don't explain. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's kind of, you have to, you have to know the story and kind of catch up to it for you to understand what's going on. Like, that. that's one thing I'll say they did in the Jim Carrey one. I was like, oh, yeah, they actually show him, like, presiding over like being a witness to his mm -hmm. death like he had just just passed away so. just passed away exactly um but yeah and another thing that's really cool about this movie uh they were in the pre-production stuff they were talking about how they wanted to do it and when you learn that it's uh it was going to be like a tv thing it kind of makes sense uh some of the choices they were going to be making um before it got turned into a full movie then they kind of changed things up so they picked gonzo to be the narrator because they felt like him as a character uh as he's depicted in pretty much any of the other muppets media is this kind of over the top crazy guy he's got like um he's like a daredevil he does a lot of crazy things i remember there's the scene in uh uh, Muppets Treasure Island where he's being quote unquote tortured and he's being like on that rack and they're like stretching out his arms and he's like, oh, keep going, keep going. And then he's like, "Woo, this is fun. And it's just like, that's the character of Gonzo. So having him play Charles Dickens, the narrator of this story is just kind of a fun juxtaposition of what it normally is. Uh, they also thought about having um, in that same vein of having a character that you wouldn't think would play this role. They also thought about having Animal, uh, the drummer, from the band um, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, I think it is. Um, and they were going to have Animal play Charles Dickens, but then they thought that would, that would be too far to the, too crazy, too far out there. Um, too crazy. You're, you're crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> too crazy. Um, they also, so when they, another thing they were thinking about before they had Gonzo playing Charles Dickens, before they had the character of Charles, Dick, Charles Dickens as a narrator in the story, they were actually going to have him play um, the ghost of Christmas uh, yet to come. Um, and they were going to have him be pretty much like he is in this, the, the, the puppet they have in this movie. That is the big cloaked guy. They were going to have him essentially be the same thing, but have his nose coming out of the hood. <laughs> and I, I've heard that one of the jokes was going to be how they weren't going to like, it was going to be acknowledged that the nose was coming out of the hood, but he wasn't going to know what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were also going to have like and then in that same regard, they're going to have, I think, have Miss Piggy be the ghost of Christmas present. Um, Robin be the uh, Robin, who's um, Kermit's nephew, uh, who's not as popular in modern uh, Muppet stuff. But they were going to have him be the ghost of Christmas past. So that was kind of some of the changes that they were doing through this process until they decided to move it to a larger thing. And then they decided that they wanted to have uh, the ghosts be puppets that are only for those specific pieces and then that's when they kind of switch things around um and they moved kermit from being scrooge to being um bob cratchit so so that way they were kind of playing some changing some stuff around um but the really cool thing is actually the pairing of uh gonzo and rizzo which is a very common now 
um, between, I think they have, they've even added uh, Pepe, the um, prawn uh, to that kind of interaction. Gonzo, Pepe, and Rizzo kind of play off each other now a lot of, uh, in a lot of the modern day Muppets media. Um, this was actually the first time that they actually did the pairing between Gonzo and um, Rizzo. And the puppeteers that did them were, again, Dave um, was the puppeteer. He's, like I've said his name a few other times, he's doing some other stuff. And then also um, the guy that did Rizzo was Steve uh, Whitmire. And so Steve and Dave knew each other and interacted and, like, were friends, again, for a very long time before this. So when you see them interacting, uh, there's actually small little, quote-unquote, Easter eggs, I would say, uh, of them interacting where Gonzo calls him an idiot. That was actually something Dave would call Steve all the time in real life. Um, there's a few, and I'll talk about them in a bit, but there's like some improv, like came up on the spot moments that stayed in the film, which are really cute. So it's just really cool to see them like paired together for this. This, this is the first time they're paired together. And then they kind of kept that relationship going forward because it works so well together. So, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, for me anyway, it's hard not to think of them together. Like, that's just, you know, they yeah. synonymous with one another. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, and they did, they t and in the productions uh, leading up to, they were talking about like, well, we have this character of, uh, they have this character of Charles Dickens, who should be paired with him? And they were like, well, it's like dirty, it's like old-timey England. Like, what was there a lot of? Rats, let's put him with a rat. That would be funny. We got Rizzo the rat, let's put him with it. And that was kind of the idea behind it. Uh, that's great. <laughs> and another great thing is he's uh, Rizzo says he's like, I'm just here for the food. Um, and yeah. if you watch the movie, he's literally eating the entire time as much yep. as he can. <laughs> yeah, I, I love when he eats the fucking wax. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, like no, oh, that, no, that's wax, right? Yeah, it's, the texture it was kind of weird, <laughs> <laughs> and then spits it out. Like yeah. he go, he's he's eating it and still eating it. He goes, oh, once he's told it's wax, he goes, oh yeah, that is gross. Yeah, yeah um, I'm not gonna eat this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing I really want to talk about in this, like, I'm, mind you, we're still only like three minutes in, and this is what it's like watching the movie with me. So yeah, we are we are not far at all. So. No. Don't worry. Towards the end, I said there's a lot less to talk about because it's kind of just the same things again and again. But um, take your time, man. They're they're watching yeah. at home, so. <laughs> um, so props to I have to give props to the set construction here because it's really fun and interesting. You see the um, if you look in the background for all the London scenes, um, they do these buildings that aren't quite right. Uh, they all have kind of a weird shape to them. They're all night like square. Uh, depending on where you are um, and they bring up the set dressing as part of the storytelling. So when you're in yeah. kind of the market area, there's not like a lot of weird angles. There's slight, but not a whole lot when you're by um, when you're at Scrooge's house, everything is like real straight and perfect. But when you're in like lower income areas of London, it's all like kind of angled and kind of off kilter and nothing's really square. So it's kind of, it just helps tell the story through these other things as they're going through. And the other thing I have to give shout outs to the, uh, the costumers who did this show. Um, I watched, I've seen it a bunch and I do notice that um, Gonzo and Rizzo have the most costume changes out of any other characters. Um, on top of that, I just watched a video talking about the costuming for it. And apparently, th and this person that I watched um, is a 
historian of costume, uh, historian of clothing and a costumer. And they talk about how it's impressive how much detail they put into the costumes for the periods um, where they try to essentially give everybody in the, in the present timeline the correct costuming for what it would be. And then basing that when they go in the past and when they go in the future, they kind of give them appropriate costuming for the past and the future based on that timeline. So Rizzo's smock is actually a type of cart smock that was worn by people uh, during that time frame and was intricately stitched to give these beautiful, personalized, individual um, styles on them. And if you rewatch the movie and if you pause at this time that like uh, three, oh, 3 minutes and 38 seconds in, if you can barely, barely see the intricate stitching on his smock by his shoulders and by his chest. And this scene only is like a minute long before it changes. So rats like on the screen for like three minutes in total in this costume. And they went through all that detail to put it on. So, I mean, props to the costumers for doing that level of commitment to be like, yeah, this is only on for this a few minutes. Yeah. Let's do this very intricate way of stitching onto this small little tiny smock for this rat. <laughs> Dude, it's just crazy. This crew was working overtime to like pull all this off. Yeah. Just doing some brilliant stuff. It's it, it blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on past this point. I know it's uh, I've been talking a lot. Um, like I already said, it's they rip they rip straight out of the text. Um, yeah. A lot of these uh, lines, which really adds that element. Um, at about five minutes and ten seconds in, uh, we are introduced to uh, Michael Caine as Scrooge. We don't get to see him right away. Um, but we do see kind of like him walking through the town and everyone talking about him. Um, you know, that very famous uh, song that comes on is, you know, uh, as they're watching him, they're all like making comments about how he's mean and horrible and all that type of stuff. Um, and then the other kind of cool thing is as he's walk as Kane is walking through the set, he um, has to be kind of watching where he's going. Um, there's a very pinnacle one where he walks through a crowd of Muppets and then they turn back towards the camera and are singing towards you. Um, and the cool thing is, is that what you don't see is this set is built for the puppeteers to be able to do this, right? So you're talking about a, a grown human being sticking their arms up in the air and working this puppet most of the time above their head, which means that you may be getting six feet at the top of the puppet's head, maybe seven feet. Um, but you have these normal actors that have to walk past them. So how do you work that? Because you can't have the actors like the puppets being at this height of uh, above Michael Caine, the human. So they have to sink the floor and then build the set up. So you can have puppeteers standing on the ground and then have the set above like at their shoulder height. So that means you have giant pits in your set that your actors who are supposed to be acting with these puppets have to walk around. So there are certain times where Michael Caine is walking across boards that are no more than two feet in width. And he has to be focusing on acting and playing his character while making sure he doesn't fall into these pits and potentially hurt himself and or these other uh, puppeteers. So credit to them on this, because there's several times when you if you if you're thinking about that as watching it and that scene is at like five minutes and fi uh, 51 seconds in 
if you think about that, you start seeing it more and more in the movie and you start seeing it with other characters uh, like the uh, ghost of Christmas present who is in a who is a Muppet himself and is being controlled by two different people. And that guy has to walk around these areas and can like it's probably not the best visibility and has to focus on making sure he doesn't fall into a pit <laughs> is it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, he's he's Michael Caine too. He's he's a professional. He's he's got he's got this, dude. He's good. Yeah. Like I can imagine him just being on this set and just like having the time of his life watching all the different things <laughs> they were coming up with to make yeah. it possible. That that would, I think, more than anything, like be one of his favorite parts of mm -hmm. being in this movie since he liked it so much. Yeah. And to be clear, too, on that, um, I kind of put this note in here around that same time frame. But Michael Caine is famously quoted, I think, by The Guardian uh, by saying that he wanted to play wanted to play his Scrooge straight. Like he was playing against the um, uh, the 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 um, Royal Shakespeare Company, um, essentially the top of the like theatrical uh, acting world. He was playing this his Scrooge straight, not not he was never going to be winking he as he said he, i'm just never going to wink at the camera being like i'm in on this joke he said no i'm treating all the puppets as if they were real actors and this isn't some sort of colorful world i'm in with puppets this is the real world and i'm a real person so i think that's what also sets this above and beyond is that it has these like really light moments but also has these really dark moments and Kane allows for us to be able to really experience both of those because he plays it so straight. And the movie, I think, would be lost without that. Or the story, at least, I think. It would just become a, a spectacle. Almost. Yes. Yeah, I, and there's like plenty of other... Uh, They're considering a lot of other actors, um, quite a few comedians, um, like, you know... They do, and you can even, I think he even has gone on to say, when you look at other Muppet movies, you look at the ones where they have normal humans and they feel like they have to act that much higher because the Muppets are so goofy. They feel like they have to be that much goofier. So they push themselves to that like crazy level that's just uh, Kane thought was not going to work for this movie and this role specifically. So, yeah. Well. I mean, he is fucking Alfred, so it's a great <laughs> choice. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, one thing is kind of interesting as they're going through this this song at six minutes and ten seconds. If you're listening to one of the characters, um, I don't know he, I don't know the puppet's name or the Muppet's name, um, but he's kind of like a blue felt Muppet with like hair, and you can't see his eyes. Um, but if you listen to his voice, it sounds very familiar to one. Um, fozzy uh bear uh is because how they used to do the characters for this they would have um they would essentially be like okay we're doing this big scene we have so many puppeteers uh and obviously not each puppet gets it or each muppet or puppet gets their own um you know one person doesn't do one they do multiple roles so they would say like who wants to do some, who wants to do this one they would hold them up or they would look at them who could think they could do something funny or whatever and so they would like pick the roles they wanted to play uh, the puppeteers and would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got this one. So you'll hear sometimes when you start really focusing on that stuff, you start hearing like certain characters or certain voices or like kind of vocal inflections come up in a lot of different characters. So 
just kind of fun how they used to do it is that they'd be like, who wants to play this person? They'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. That sounds fun. Um, that Frank Oz made a living off of that. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then kind of like I was saying before, uh, Richard um, comes back kind of in this situation at seven minutes and 15 seconds. There's some horses that are walking by. And one of those horses is named um, Rich Richard, I think is what they called him, Richard. Um, and the funny thing is, is that it was played by Dave. Um, and Dave would send emails to Brian Henson uh, from the horse, uh, Richard, and ask for bigger roles in the production. So essentially he was like, cause apparently Richard Hunt would also do the similar things. He would make jokes. And so it's kind of sweet to see uh, Dave keep up that kind of same type of spirit by having this horse who he had nicknamed this character kind of honor his friends. And so like he said like, Oh, I would send emails to Brian and be like, oh, me and the other horse think we should really get a, a bigger role in this movie maybe a singing number would be really nice which they do actually later get a singing part in a movie so uh in this movie so it's kind of funny but just throw it out there good for them yeah i mean it's i mean honestly if i could go back in time and redirect a lot of what i was doing in my life i probably would strive harder to be a puppeteer for the muppets so uh, yeah, maybe I should have sent some writing into that area of the world. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, so going on uh, at eight minutes, 20 seconds, there's some more direct book quotes uh, kind of talking about like Scrooge and how he's like a grimy, uh, like clenching fist and how he likes like he squeezes and um, grasps at money, which is really nice. Mm. Um, and then at 10 minutes, 24 seconds, uh there's this really great scene where michael where michael kane and the, they're inside the bookkeeping and kermit's like talking and the, there's all the other bookkeeper rats around him and he's like yeah. you know sir can we have some more um you know fire for the coals or uh or the the other uh bookkeepers are saying it's really cold and one of the rats goes like yeah my ink's turning into ink coals which is i remember loving that as a kid um yeah. <laughs> Gotta, but gotta throw some stuff in there for the kids, right? Well, I mean, it's the Muppets. Muppets, it's the Muppets, right? And so, uh, Michael Caine actually suggested this whole that's this this part of the scene is where they go, like, uh, they're like, Oh, you'd like some more cold, and then he's like, I bet you would like some more cold in the unemployment line, and he like yells at them. Um, and Michael Caine actually came up with he's like, This will be like the ability for me to be funny without me actually being like quote unquote funny or playing toward the camera. I believe Scrooge would have these types of outbursts to his book bookkeepers who he sees less than human, obviously. So right. he, yeah. So he would just be like, he'd be able to do it. So those in character. And then, then that's like the quintessential, they, uh, it flashes back to the, the rats and now they're all in like tropical, uh, um, yeah. garb. And they're like heat wave island in the sun. And they're dancing around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I love that. How would you like to be on the unemployment line? And then they're just like, <laughs> <heat> wave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is actually really great because uh, they debated on doing that joke for a very long time. They were concerned it wouldn't be, it would be too much. Um, it would break the whole um, serious notes that they were trying to go to. They eventually decided to put it in and then test audience loved it. So then that's what led to in uh, treasure Island. 
Um, there's the whole like secondary story, like in the background of Rizzo selling, um, which is funny in itself, uh, Rizzo selling cruise tickets to a bunch of rats to be on the ship. And so in a bunch of the scenes, you see them like off in the background, like uh, kissing or dancing. And like, there's that whole scene where they're like, oh, and then like, this is the uh, set of where the Muppets uh, Treasure Island is being filmed as like a tour is happening. So pretty much that one scene, the heat wave scene is the reason that we have all of that in the Muppets Treasure Island movies, because they thought it was so funny that they actually decided to bring that forward because they thought it was it was received so well. Hey, if you have a good bit, you know, don't don't fix what's not broken. You know, so Yeah. And then at uh, 11 minutes, 14 seconds, uh, there's one thing that's kind of a nice story part to it. And again, this is why I feel it's great and is such a great adaptation is that Gonzo and Rizzo sneak into uh, the bookkeepers because they're like um, gone. Uh, Rizzo's like, oh, man, it's so cold in here. Or, it's so cold out here. I bet it's warmer yeah. inside. And they run inside and he's like, oh, it's colder in here. <laughs> but you, but you notice no one notices them. No one acknowledges them. It's because essentially in this mode, I guess, or this time of the story, they are telling the story. And so they are like secret, uh, not really seen narrators, which is kind of funny. It's like there's sometimes it breaks, sometimes it isn't, but they're like essentially not really seen is the idea. So, yeah, I mean, well, that's such a nice little detail that mm -hmm. could add an unnecessary complication to right story that doesn't need it. So. Mm -hmm. And then um, so the, this is the kind of scene where like we just see how stingy he is between his nephew and the people that come in uh, Beaker and uh, Honeydew that come in and ask for donations. Um, but at 14 minutes, 44, uh, 45 seconds, there's the little rabbit puppet. Um, I don't remember his name. I remember him being in a lot of stuff when we were kids, um, mm -hmm. but the puppeteers hated him. Um, so they would just come up with different ways to be abusive to him, which uh -huh. is kind of sad, but also it, it lends level uh, levity to the whole situation where he like the rabbit singing. And then he's like, Oh, go away. And he's like, Oh, sad. And then he leaves. And then he grabs the reel sure. and like throws it at him. I mean, um, yeah, that, that wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, um, this part where it's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the part that really gets me with the rabbit since you brought it up. Yeah is shortly after that i think yep uh it, i mean it's, it's like nighttime it's really cold and the rabbit's kind of just sitting outside of a building just kind of wrapped up in some newspapers mm -hmm. and clearly freezing and i don't know man that just made me really sad to it, that. so that and that's uh i was gonna bring that up too um so the original story that charles dickens put out was not necessarily supposed to be like just a Christmas story. It's supposed to be really more about how the industrial revolution that was happening in England at the time uh -huh. was affecting the poor and downtrodden and essentially was trying to be like, Hey, this is really like you, you being greedy. There's people in need. Like you should be like supporting people because we like, cause you have that ability to support them. So the rabbit I feel like does in that scene kind of does keep that part of the story true is like, there are people that are downtrodden in this England and Scrooge is one of those people that's put as it has the ability to help and support them. And so, yeah, it's, it is kind of sad. 
Uh, I still don't like the, I don't know why I don't like the bunny. I remember him from a few things. I don't like him. So it gives me joy when he gets hurt. But also I do feel sad for him when he's shivering in that little newspaper pile. I'm like, oh, poor bunny. Well, and I mean, you talk about like uh, being a story that was relevant then. I mean, that that's still is relevant. Yeah. You know, relevant as hell to this day. So mm-hmm. I'm glad, I guess I'm saying I'm glad that they felt the need to be cruel to this bunny. <laughs> I think that will be a an effect that others uh, feel from that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Continuing on, because we still got a lot, and we still got like another, like quite a few, a lot to go through here. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, at 17 uh, minutes and 10 seconds, mind you, this is an hour and a half long movie, so I'm sorry we're only at 17 minutes. Um, <laughs> Kermit does one of the coolest things ever. He blows out a candle, which is just crazy because he's a puppet. So how did it happen? And so like, when people saw that it was mind blowing. They just were like, Oh my gosh. And that's one big thing that, um, they wanted to bring through forward in this production was they always wanted to push the limits of what their puppets could do. And so, um, <laughs> Brian Henson was talking about it and saying, Oh yeah, probably what we did. Like everyone was like so crazy. Like, how'd you do it? And all this stuff. He's like, we just had a hose in his mouth and he, and when he went to go blow it, it just blew out. So I just had a hose in my, a, the puppeteer had a hose in their mouth. It was in Kermit's uh, in Kermit's mouth. And when they went to go blow it with their hand, they just blew into the pipe and it just blew out. Like the hose just blew out air and that was really it. So it was like Kermit blowing it out, but it was just the puppeteer going. <laughs> so, but it's like when you see it, it's just so like what Kane later talks, or what Kane talks about is sometimes you forget that they're not real. You are acting off of them as if they were real people. You can see the puppeteer behind you and below you, but you're still looking at Kermit directly in the eyes and acting off of him and not acting off of the puppeteer. And he said, it's because they're just so lifelike and they have so many mannerisms that make you forget they aren't real and human. So it's kind of fun, but I just love that. It's just one of those small things. It's like a puppet blowing out a candle can really like add magic and heighten us experience. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you kind of get to the uh, 18 minute and 51 second mark is where they do the penguin um, annual penguin ice skating. If I remember correctly, what's called, um, which is really cool because they do a lot of uh, comping. Uh, which was kind of a new technology where they did uh, blue screen as well as some other like more basic stuff where like there's Gonzo that's sliding across. He's really most of the penguins that are sliding and um, Gonzo, he's the puppeteers just laying on some sort of like flat rolly bed and they're just pulling them across as they're like puppeting. Um, the one where Kermit's like ice skating on one leg, that's a comp where they have a person like kind of a blue screen or a green green screen is the idea. Uh, they usually do blue screen for this type of thing where they're just doing one small area. And so then you take out essentially that blue area as they are um, puppeting Kermit as he's skating by. So that's kind of fun and interesting uh, stuff. And you can kind of see some of the lines if you look really hard. And if you're thinking like, how do they do that? Kind of look at the edge of a particular uh, area and it will maybe look a little bit slightly off or a little blurry. And that's how you can tell if it's a comp or like a cutout in older films like this. So, yeah, uh, that's really fun. Uh, and then at 
20 minutes and 13 seconds, there's a shooting star as Kermit's looking up at the sky. And this is a tribute to uh, Jim Henson as kind of like a thank you. Um, uh, you know, it's so bright and unfortunately they fade out. So that's kind of nice little homage to him. Um, and then at 21 minutes and eight seconds, uh, they do the knocker scene, which they did not intend to be so mentally scarring as apparently it is. Um, they got a lot of feedback from moviegoers that their the kids were very scared by that. Um, they did not mean for that to be a scary. Where uh, I think it's Waldorf like goes Scrooge and morphs in, and Scrooge freaks out, and it like yeah. scares the horses, and Gonzo falls off, and he does more reading from Shake uh, from uh, Charles Dickens. Sometimes they want to do something fun, and then it's like, oh, that was really scary. You gotta appreciate it though. We have stuff for kids. We just have good. You know, uh, pup, puppet that uh, things going on, and then ah, scary. <laughs> yeah, um, and then as they keep going, uh, they do kind of a little bit of an Easter egg here for what is Muppet Treasure Island, where they say how 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 does he do that when Gonzo's like talking and Rizzo's like, how do you know what's happening? We're down here, he's up there, and he's like, oh, I'm the author. He's like author omniscience. I know these things. And so he's like, and so he turns back to the camera and goes, Scrooge had to turn on the lights and the lights turn on. And Gonzo's like, and Rizzo is like, how does he do that? And they later do that joke in um, Muppets Treasure Island where the uh, boarding house ladies like says things and they're like, how does she do that? So another fun <laughs> uh, Muppets fan Easter egg stuff. Um, and then, then we get to the uh, 25... Uh, minutes and 15 seconds mark where you're introduced to the marley brothers um in their classic song uh and how and if you watch it they're like clearly like semi-transparent and they did that similar to like i was talking about before with the compositing with the blue screen they actually did a very old technology in one of the very first ways that um ghosts quote unquote were done for special effects where you take what you want to make the ghost and you shoot it on black velvet as a background. And so you have the character, usually it is white, um, but you have them shoot on a black background. And then you take that same film and then you re-record over that film without with, um, with the scene as you want to do it, which then causes your quote-unquote ghost from before to kind of be look transparenty because of the shadows, because the black velvet absorbs all the light. There's no exposure on those sections. So then when you reshoot it, it makes them look transparent in comparison to the rest of the scene, which is really cool. So just technical amaze all over this movie. <laughs> then we go to 25, 28 seconds. It's about like how he's like, oh, you're probably just some bad food that I ate or some mustard or something like that. And they're just laughing. That's directly ripped out of the book again. So, you know, more amazingness. Um, and then at 29 minutes, uh, it, do, it does get a little dark. And uh, Brian Henson actually talked about the scene specifically where he says he was like, we are actually concerned that it would be too dark for the kids. But his father used to talk about like, how to be able to appreciate the light, you had to um, experience the dark, um, which I know is a topic we've brought up before 
in other media, but it's kind of talks about like Rizzo going like, Ooh, man, this is pretty scary. You should be worried about the kids. And Gonzo goes, no, it's culture. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, and then like shortly after nine, uh, 29, 29 seconds, Mark, uh, Rizzo kisses Gonzo on the nose. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty funny little bit. And that's probably, that was most likely improv. I couldn't get any verification on that, but I'm pretty sure it was improvised um, between the two puppeteers because they had known each other for so long and they played off each other so well. Um, I think that was, it's, it doesn't seem, it seems kind of out of character um, to do it. And if you can look up gag reels of uh, Muppets, totally worth your time. It is hilarious. It is impressive how well they do stuff in character and watching them say things. So um, yeah uh 30 minutes thank god we only have an hour left of this movie guys uh um one of the big things like i was talking about before is like the whole scene where uh rizzo has to like jump the fence um and gonzo's like i'll catch you and that whole thing it was essentially um brian was like okay like a director mind of like how do we so we have them out front so they can see the out front then we're gonna have them then we're going to have uh, Scrooge fly out of his window. How are we going to get them on the window? How are we going to get them in that area? And they decided the best way was to get them in a tree, but they couldn't have a tree out front because that was like the street. So then there was going to be a tree in like uh, Scrooge's backyard. But how are they going to get Gonzo and Rizzo from the front yard to the backyard? And so it was like this whole thought process. And so then that's where we get the, the fun scene of Rizzo being like on top of the fence, after he's climbed it being like oh like god save my fragile little body and he jumps off and he lands in the snow and then he gets up and then goes oh shoot i forgot my jelly beans (laughs) and so he runs back and goes through the fence because he could always go fit through the fence and then he comes back and gonzo goes you idiot (laughs) you stupid idiot and that's something that uh dave would say to um steve all the time in real life so it's kind of uh, you get to see part of their actual relationship on the screen and then this is when we're introduced to the ghosts for the first time after uh, scrooge goes to sleep and it's very clearly a not a restful sleep since when the bell goes off for one o'clock in the morning his eye just sh- michael kane's eye one eye just shoots open is ready to go um which i always thought was really creepy and fun <laughs> as a kid um but you get the ghost of christmas pasts um who's like a little child ghost like this uh flowing cloth Uh, very ethereal looking Um, and how they did that effect was they actually submerged this puppet in at first it was baby oil um so they so it'd be much more viscous um but it didn't really didn't film really well it didn't look really well um so then they put it in water and they did it in water essentially filming it in water um which just kind of shows you the dedication that a lot of these puppeteers have is like to have to do like just shove your here. Here's a giant vat of baby oil. And we want you to shove your arm in there and puppet this little thing in front of us while you're doing that. So credit and, to them. And if it doesn't work, we're going to have to try something completely. different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so they shot that. So they shot it in water. Um, and, and, and actually this puppet broke down a, a lot. It, uh, it was completely damaged by the entire process and doesn't exist anymore. Um, and was like, oh, like at the end of production, most puppets can usually Muppets and puppets last a little bit longer. This one was completely damaged, but to get like a very cool effect. And I remember being slightly scared of this, this one as a child, because it's just kind of so weird and creepy 
with its little child face. <laughs> but yeah, and then at three minute, uh, 30 minutes, 32 minutes and 38 seconds. Eight seconds. Uh, there's actually, if you can find it, there's a great blooper of when Gonzo swing the grappling hook to grab onto Scrooge as they're flying away. He uh, swings it and then nails himself in the head. And the again, puppeteers are great. So he's doing this and he hits the puppeteer makes Gonzo hit himself in the head by accident. And instead of just being like, oh, shoot, reset, he goes and falls over, acts like Gonzo falls over dead. And Rizzo the rat goes, oh, no, medic, we need a medic over here. And it's just kind of cute and wonderful that even like the bloopers, they play them in their character um, as like if an actor actually probably did that in real life type stuff. So it's a fun blooper to find online. Um, <laughs> medic. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, so then they do the, the, the flying scene where they're flying over uh, London mm-hmm. and uh, Scrooge is actually on a green screen, which when I was watching um, some stuff like promotional materials that came out before this movie uh, for the movie was like a new red, uh, new revolutionary technology. You watch as Scrooge flies across London using this thing called a green screen and they like make it sound like it's this crazy cool thing. Yeah. And so it's just kind of funny now, like you see it. Um, but yeah, they have like, if you find the footage, it's like Michael Caine going in like a giant green room. And it's kind of cute um, knowing who Michael Caine is and this wonderful actor being like, here, we're going to throw you up in this new technology. That's just a giant green room. Um, and then how they got Rizzo and Gonzo to fly across is again, back to that blue screen comping where essentially you just have your puppeteers uh, puppeting them with the blue screen as they're moving across. So, yeah. Uh, now this is where the notes start jumping a little bit more. So 38 minutes after the whole like uh, young Scrooge in this classroom, uh, Sam the Eagle, who's like a representation of like America and things, uh, goes, you know, he's like, oh, young Scrooge, you'll, you'll, you'll be quite industrious. It's the American way. And then Gonzo, as you know, Charles Dixon comes up and goes, Sam, Sam, and like taps him on the shoulder and like whispers to him. And then he goes, oh, OK. He's like, you'll be industrious. It's the British way. <laughs> and then th- then Sam suddenly realizes he's like, wait, what was that? And kind of looks over because he's like, who just whispered in my ear to do that? And because Gonzo is really not there, but also there. So it's kind of a fun little thing. Um, again, costumes on points, um, for most of these scenes, it's really interesting to see, um, uh, just how different all of them are. I love uh, when Gonzo and Rizzo are doing the lamplighter scene. This is at like 39 minutes. Um, they have these beautiful striped coats and it's actually like a very particular time frame that they are referencing. And it's just amazing that they just... Literally, we're in a different scene, and now they're in another scene, and this is, I think, the fourth costume change for Gonzo and Rizzo in this movie. And Michael Kane has only been in two costumes at this point. So it's pretty impressive to see like how much effort and time went into dressing them in period-specific pieces. So props, again, just have to give a shout-out. Um, and then Rizzo's uh, gets dumped in the water at 39 minutes, 48 seconds. And how they did that specific scene was they actually built a bucket... And then inside the bucket, built the puppet into the bottom of the bucket so it could be filled with water. And the puppeteer would just stick their hand up through and puppet Rizzo while inside the bucket. So that way, that's how they would do it, which is kind of fun and cool. And they used to do 
Um, it's a very similar way to what they did for um, the Muppet movie when Kermit's on his lawn playing the banjo in the swamp. Um, Jim Henson was actually in a steel barrel with air being piped into him underneath the water while he was puppeting Kermit on the log. So just crazy cool stuff that they think of to do these shots. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I got, give it, got to say this out loud. I guess uh, I just learned this recently, um, but at um, 42 minutes and 15 seconds in, you see young Scrooge, which apparently um, is a, awoken several people to their uh fascination um apparently he's real he's real uh, he's a real treat a real heartthrob so that's cool um <laughs> very cool yeah. yeah and then at 44 minutes and 50 seconds this is a pretty big controversial thing um if you have watched uh, muppets christmas carol on disney plus you are missing out and if this is the first time you've ever seen muppets christmas carol on disney plus because that's the only place you can get it on streaming unless you illegally watch it on youtube which it totally is um you miss out on a very pinnacle scene the uh, love is gone song um where the love interest of scrooge mcduck or scrooge mcduck of uh, of <laughs> Scrooge, see what I, see what I yeah. did to you now? Yeah, exactly. Now it's in my head. Uh, where Scrooge essentially, um, he meets at the party, the same party I was talking about a little bit ago with uh, Rizzo and his costume change and the that whole thing uh, with uh, uh, Fuzzy Wig and his rubber chicken factory, which is just uh, Fuzz, uh, Fuzzy the Bear, uh, which is kind of funny. But there's like a party where he meets his love interest and then years go by and he keeps putting off them getting married because he's not financially stable. And then eventually she's just like, nah, I got to ditch you. So they sing this beautiful song, um, which is not in the Disney plus version because the Disney plus version is based off the, the theatrical release, which didn't have it. But if you've watched it on VHS or laser disc or DVD, you had seen the scene because they added it back in. And the reason they took it out is because they felt it was too slow it, it kind of slowed the whole movie down. It wasn't interesting for kids, but it, it does kind of, I'm of opinion, it, the movie definitely needs it. I will, st I actually stop uh, the streaming version, go online, watch that scene, and then go back to the movie because it's so pinnacle because you see this, this uh, female so hurt by Scrooge. And then it doesn't make sense. Like, cause in the, the streaming version, she goes like, yeah, I think I'm going to leave. And then she gets up and Scrooge watches her walk away. Uh -huh. And then you see her past Gonzo and Rizzo and they're bawling. And Michael Caine is like on the verge of tears. And you're like, we only like, like we've only seen her for like a few minutes on screen. Like we saw them get introduced and then we saw him go. Yeah, sorry. Business is not doing too well. And she goes, well, I'm going to leave you. And uh -huh. then walks away and everyone's like <laughs> crying. It's because there's this beautiful song about like the love is gone. And it goes on for a while. And Michael Caine and her like do a cute little duet. So if you're watching this, definitely just go on YouTube, watch that one song and then start watching the movie again. And the reason Disney hasn't added it back in is because they've lost the original negatives and therefore they can't, therefore can't update them. Uh, can't update the movie with higher quality negatives. And the only versions they have are low quality from VHS. And so they can't do it without it looking bad. So, um, yeah, so I just choose to 
cut they it just, out then. Well, they, yeah, they just at, they, at that point they're just like even uh, Brian Henson's gone on and said like, yeah, it, it, it pains me to not have this in here, but also it just wouldn't look good. There would be such a dip in quality that it'd be so jarring that he feel like most people feel it would just take you out of the moment. So. Yeah. Yeah, which is sad because then there's a reprieve of it later in the movie when uh, Michael Caine sings The Love Is Found and you're like, where's this fucking song coming from? And it's referencing this song that's not in the movie. Yeah, I think because we just watched it um, on, I think, Blu-ray the other Mm -hmm. night. And yeah, that, that part where she leaves and everybody's really sad, I thought was kind of weird just because as important as I know Belle is to this story. She, as you said, was not in this version for that long. So why is everybody? Yeah. So sad. This? And then, yeah, when he sings that song at the end, it's like, Oh, well that's kind of sweet, but that's, that's kind of weird too, man. I mean, you don't, <laughs> you just turned over a new leaf. You don't need to start like breaking into song about <laughs> love and stuff like that. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I highly recommend if you're going to watch the movie, uh, stop and watch that. Cause it does, add, I, it does add a lot. Um, go on, keep going on it. Uh, then at 46 seconds and, uh, sorry, four, 46 minutes and 20 seconds in, um, you have, uh, one of the best characters, the ghost of Christmas present, um, who is this giant puppet. He's controlled by two people. His head and face are controlled by one person with uh, remote controls, the actual voice actor as well. And then you have another gentleman who's actually walking around in the giant puppet, which is not the first time um, Muppet Productions have done something like this, where they've had like a full body um, Muppet. Prime example is Big Bird. Um, That is a person inside a suit, obviously doing that type of stuff. But this one is interesting because they have him be so just simply delightful. Um, he's one of my favorite characters ever. Um, and he's absent minded because he's always in the present. So he forgets things so easily. And that's kind of a cute little thing that I feel like a lot of other, um, adaptations don't do really well or don't do at all. Um, and so having him be this kind of like jolly jovial person is really great. And, uh, they do this whole thing with, um, having him show up in a bunch of different areas with like, uh, force perspective and then again back to comping like he's really big when you first see him um, and then he shrinks down to being what his his quote-unquote normal size and then he's with some mice and so it's just like a lot of really cool technology they're doing just to kind of make it magical um, and I even I even hum I pretty much hum this song that he sings every single time after watching the movie just because it's so wonderful um, and this is the scene with the sicking horses that I was talking about earlier so they did uh the horse did get its wishes and was put into a musical number. So good for the horse sending those emails. <laughs> um, Damn horse. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then at 51 minutes and 30 seconds, there's a really great, like semi semi sexual joke, which I always laughed at when I was, uh, when I got a little bit older, um, uh, Ebenezer's, uh, Scrooge's uh, nephew, like makes a joke. He's like, I've got a good one. <laughs> and he like is talking to his wife. It's yeah. kind of funny. And you're like, haha, that's a really weird line read, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Just that's not like a fun fact. It's just more of a funny moment in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
And then at 54 minutes, 50 seconds, there's uh, one of the most, which is the most complicated shot in the entire movie. This is the one where Kermit's walking down the street with his uh, son. Uh, I should say Bob Kermit as Bob Cratchit uh, is walking down the street with Robin, who is tiny, who's playing Tiny Tim on his shoulder. Um, and they're walking down a street, which is something that Jim always wanted to do. He always pushed that type of stuff where they you'd see the full movement of the Muppets. And that was something he really wanted to focus on. So Brian wanted to do it in this movie as well. And so this one is particularly interesting. They have uh, three people working Kermit. They have two people working Robin. And then they have um, an unknown amount. I didn't I wasn't able to find that information working uh, the other aspects of the scene. So what they have is three people working Kermit as he's walking along a street moving his arm, singing, all that type of stuff. And what you don't see is, is the street he's walking on is actually a giant barrel with uh, that's like got cobblestone, a cobblestone facade on it, and then snow glued to it. So it's rotating as these puppeteers are working Kermit, walking down the street in uh, a blue screen comp type situation. And then they would put that film on the street moving past. So it looks like Kermit's walking down the street which is really cool. I always thought that was super interesting and massively complicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, just the level of detail and attention to all this. Sometimes I can't get my uh, Microsoft Excel to work the way that I wanted to. So I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Right. And that's, I mean, that's why I love these types of things is that it's, I mean, how do you make a Muppet walk? Well, we'll just get a big barrel and spin it. Like, it seems like such a simple thing to like, after the fact to think about, but also someone had to come up with that in the initial thought process, which is such a cool, impressive thing. So yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And then this is also like, this is the scene where um, we learned about tiny Tim and his infliction. Um, they said that they were uh, going for uh, pneumonia or tuberculosis for his sickness. Um, because that's what it was. And they actually wanted to show Tiny Tim be sick because it was so important to the book. And a lot of other productions don't usually show him like actually coughing. They're just like, oh, he's little and small and he's got like a crutch. Oh, sad. Oh, but yeah. like they actually show him coughing and like getting exhausted easily in this. So it's really cool. And then I did have to say one thing as cool as everything is um, at 55 minutes and 49 seconds, there is the worst seam I've ever seen on Kermit's head because how they make Kermit is they essentially like take foam and like pull it out. Uh -huh. um, and so essentially it doesn't look like there's a seam, but for whatever reason in this particular Kermit's making, there's like a horrible scene that he has right around his right, right down the center of his head. And it always bugs me about that one shot. Just had to share that. It just it pains me. Um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. Now you'll <laughs> never be able to unsee it. It's when he's being hugged by Miss Piggy, just right there, right I in the center of the screen. I can't even unthink it now. <laughs> uh, also, I just want to say at 56, uh, 56 minutes, 53 seconds, Scrooge is an idiot. He's been told several times that these people can't hear him and can't see him. And he keeps reacting like they can. Um, <laughs> he's like, he's like, ah, oh, you know, and Kermit's like toasting. He's like, and to Scrooge and Scrooge is like, Bob, Bob. And like walks inside like he's like being called. And it's like, dude, no, you can't be seen. Chill out. <laughs> Well, there's last, like I said, there's a few little, like we're pretty much wrapping it up here because it's just a repeating type cool things. Uh, one really cool effect is the at uh, one hour, two minutes and 31 seconds, 
there's this giant billowing cloud that kind of uh, chases Scrooge for a little bit right after the ghost of Christmas presence left and the ghost of um, ghost of Christmas yet to come is showing up. There's like this giant billowing cloud that kind of like pulls up on uh, Michael Caine and he like sees it and starts running away. So they only had one chance at the shot and they had to like essentially build up all this fog and then hide it behind a curtain to essentially keep it in place. Mm-hmm. And then they would drop the curtain and the fog would move out. And so it was kind of noisy. And Brian said, okay, Michael, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, we're going to drop it and I want you to run away from it. And I'm going to yell now. Okay. And they're like, all right, ready, go. And this, so they're doing this. They drop the curtain, the fog's moving and Brian's yelling now, now, Michael, now it's, it's coming. And like, just keeps yelling and yelling and yelling. And you actually see it in the movie is that he, kind of just standing there and then like slightly turns and then notices it gets scared and then starts running. Um, <laughs> and it's because he just didn't hear the director. And so he was waiting for his cue and then didn't hear the cue. And so he almost, uh, they, they luckily got the shot um, and it engulfs him. And it's like, when they were talking about it, it's, it kind of seems big, but like, it's like 60, like a 60 foot wall of smoke, like billowing towards him. So it's actually a pretty impressive, um, whole scene where it comes through and uh crosses over him um and then they do the ghost of christmas yet to come they wanted him to be kind of scary kind of grim ripper-esque uh classic this is imagine that face though with gonzo's nose coming out of it that was like the whole idea that they were going for in the original version which would have been goofy yeah real wild (laughs) yeah um and then at a minute or an hour and three minutes uh there's like that really as and as i was watching one of the the them talking about it was one of the crazy things is like one of this newfangled technology this super uh this special effects that was done by a computer when they like do like the warp and they like walk through this the screen and it's like spiral or circling in um they were talking about how cool that was and how awesome it is and now when you watch it nowadays you're like wow that is some terrible cgi (laughs) Like some very bad after effects stuff. So some parts of the movie, unfortunately don't hold up really well, I feel like, but luckily enough, they do a lot of practical stuff. So, yeah. Um, and then at one minute or sorry, I keep saying one minute, one hour and four minutes, uh, the puppeteers, uh, there's like a rain scene happening and there's these pigs standing with umbrellas. Um, and what you don't see is that there's a shot of it from below where the, uh, puppeteers are literally standing in like plastic rain ponchos and are being dripped on because they kind of you don't stand directly under your puppet you stand slightly off to the side of it so the umbrella that's positioned above the puppet's head because that's where uh, a living being would have it means that there's more water dumping on you because it's running off the umbrella onto you and so they're standing there and how the muppets works particularly and something that jim henson revolutionized in the puppeting world was that when they're doing their puppeting, there's actually monitors down below them that they can look down at and see what they're doing with their Muppets and can react off of that, which means that there's giant bits of electrical cable all around you while you're standing in a pit being dumped on by water. And I assume they're always very safe, but it's just one of those things that I've heard several times when listening to people talk about this stuff. They're like, yeah, sometimes you just kind of concerned you might be electrocuted that day. (laughs) 
you know, just a normal day in the office. So, yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of that section. And then we're at one uh, an hour and 13 minutes. Um, and this is where the timeline is kind of caught up. And you can start seeing uh, the little bunny is the one that he like goes like, boy, what day is it? Um, and he's like, it's Christmas Day, sir. Um, you actually see the bunny react to Rizzo running in front of him. And then when you see Scrooge looking down at him, you can actually see Rizzo's footprints in the snow. And that's because they've caught up to the time and essentially are now actually be able to be interacting with the story itself. So now people can see them and interact with them. What you see is the rabbit looks at them. Um, Scrooge even taps them on the head as he's going past. Uh, so it's kind of a cool thing is that they aren't in the story until the very end. And then, then at that point, because they've caught up to the story and the actual time of the story, you can actually see them. So they stop being, uh, Gonzo stops being the, um, uh, uh, omnipresent, omni knowing, uh, narrator at that point. Um, and then another cool thing about the set dressing, just kind of at a uh, an hour and 17 minutes in, uh, you can actually blown glass, like would be actually done in that era where there'd be imperfections, like where essentially the glass would have been smushed. So wow. it's just, again, back to the set dressing is just this amazing, it did such a great job of just showcasing all these different things and like just so much effort and time was put into this. So it's just impressive. And then um, movie wraps up. It's wonderful. It's sweet. We do the reprisal. Tiny Tim doesn't die, which is nice. Kudos <laughs> to that. Thank God. <laughs> um, so the movie wraps up and we do have one little more homage to uh, Charles Dickens. While they're panning up uh, across the street, you see two lobsters hanging out of windows, which is a which is apparently a reference to a Charles Dickens um, line that uh, says like uh, it's nothing worse than a rotting lobster in a cellar, which is a very particular like slight at somebody. So I don't know <laughs> what what that means, but that's like an homage that they have that's kind of funny. And one of those lobsters would later become Polly in. Buppet's Treasure Island, the next movie that came out for them. So, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that's all. I yep. Not, not, not one more thing. Uh, I mean, I could talk more about Muppets and puppets and <laughs> all that stuff, but I think for this particular moment, yes, this is all I have. <laughs> okay. Well, just, just making sure, man. But, <laughs> dude, your, your knowledge and your, your expertise in this type of thing i think is to be commended i think that's a tremendous amount of knowledge that you have about all this but uh, <laughs> do you is this why they don't like watching this movie with you yeah so just imagine and do this when you're actually watching the movie well i don't so i don't usually explain as much when i'm talking when we're watching the movie together but i do definitely go like oh do you know how they did this scene and they're like yes we know how they did this scene you've told us last year and the year before we don't need to know that that Kermit's walking on a drum. <laughs> so, but I bet your brother loved that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, again, man, <laughs> spot on, spot on. I actually hadn't seen this until a couple years ago, and it was when my wife actually bought it for me, which I thought was an really sweet gesture from her um but um we watched it together and i think 
the more that I kind of learn about this movie and the more that I see it and kind of pick up on some little things, uh, the more that I appreciate it. So I can understand your admiration and love for this adaptation and for the Muppets in general, because I think their work was pretty much sublime on all fronts in this. And I think that, uh, as far as it compares to other adaptations, I've never really, you know, I've never really had a favorite because as you've said, they all kind of do different things better than the other ones do. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to sit down and be like, yes, this is the definitive adaptation for a, you know, a Christmas Carol. This is obviously the best one. I've really always had a hard time putting my finger on it, but I think the more I learn and again, uh, spend time with this one, I think the more I feel confident in thinking that, yeah, I, this is, I mean, at the very least, it's definitely one of the, the better ones, if not <laughs> you know, the best one. Right. Uh, yeah. That's my experience with this. Michael Caine, I think is a great Scrooge. He <laughs> kills me with, his unemployment line <laughs> shouts yeah. every time. So I'm glad that he put that in there. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, this is something that, you know, is pretty timeless too, just for the care and the, the detail that they put into making sure it was well-made. And so I think it's going to have a long legacy because of that. And you, you can't say that for, I think very many of, uh, these adaptations very true i mean jim carrey's is already outdated and it's like well <laughs> where's what is all this you know so it's these can have a pretty a pretty small shelf life is like oh the the new kid on the block in terms of you know people taking a crack at this story yeah absolutely so yeah i so i appreciate this I appreciate you. Man. Wonderful. Thank My you. My God. What a, what a, <laughs> what a fucking uh, insane amount of detail. you. Put <laughs> I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, man. I, like I said, it's uh, maybe, maybe this year my family be less, I, I've talked myself out. Maybe I, I, I just need to like, just uh, uh, like uh, explode all this information out once a year. So mm. I bet they'll be happy that I'm not um, <laughs> needing those... to do that again. Yeah. Uh, I was going to tell you in the last episode that I, when we went and saw Dune, I actually was kind of proud of you for how well you reined yourself in through <laughs> that. But then I also realized, well, I also could barely hear anything other than the fucking blaring soundtrack for most of that time. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I didn't hear everything that he was saying super well. So I don't, I don't know. Well, the, the, the truth is out there. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm okay with wrapping it up here, Jesse, if you are. I'm I'm pooped. I, I bet you are, man. <laughs> Animal. Yeah, I think it's a good stopping point. And hopefully, I you know, regardless of which one you want to watch, you know, if you're a fan of this story, I think it's important that it's somewhere. So, you know, if but I mean, come on, this is one of the better ones. So watch, yeah. watch this one. Because, yeah. you know, it, it feels like Christmas. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's got yeah. Michael Caine, yeah. the legend. So perfect. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Hit the Reel, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. Um, we try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, depending on uh, well what's happening with my life. Um, usually, um, but hey, if I got something wrong, or if you would like to tell me how awesome I am and how much you also enjoy The Muppets Christmas Carol because it is the best adaptation of the classic story, please feel free to email us at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, feel free to take a look at our uh, Patreon uh, in the link below. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about another classic holiday watching movie i don't think it's a necessarily a holiday movie but it's definitely one that i always like to watch around the holidays um and we'll see if um we can uh, get into that particular world um but hey we've already, uh, we've already tried a couple of times we already tried a couple of times we'll see if we can we we'll see if we can actually um make our magic wands work this time um <laughs> <laughs> but like always hey keep it real mm -hmm.